0: The show! You have all made it through the dance. Da, 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 da. You have all made it, made it made it. Coming to you from the X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 216. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, we go back a little bit here. So what was it? Two, three episodes ago, I came back from hiatus stronger than ever. And one of the things I heard from you was that you wanted more episodes talking about mental health and ending the stigma around it. So here's what I did. I reached out to my friend Kent. And Kent is a dude I met maybe a year ago, maybe more. Maybe less. I don't know. Who cares? I met him some time ago because our girls are in the same class at school and they're little besties together. They're both four years old. They're both adorable and they're like inseparable at school. We have this little app where we get pictures of them and it's almost them and this other little girl, they're like the three little musketeers and it's fantastic to look at. So Kent and I hit it off, which is always nice because you worry, hey, are the parents of my daughter's friends going to be cool? And in our case, gratefully, The vast, vast majority of them have been, and thank God for that. But Kent is a fellow entrepreneur. He's had an incredible journey through his career going into corporate, going out, going back in, going out, and he's also been afflicted with some depression, as I have. And so we've been able to connect on a deeper level, which is really, really helpful because one of the things I said in that episode, I think, I still haven't listened to it, But I do know, I say it in this week's episode, is that you've got to put yourself out there and connect with people and tell them what you're going through. Because if you do, the world will show you incredible care, incredible grace, and say, hey, what can I do to help you? And so Kent and I sit down and talk about that. We also talk about his journey. And to his credit, he gets incredibly candid with me here, talking about owning up to his past selves and... And things he maybe didn't like so much about himself. He talks about the disillusion of his marriage, his interesting, varied roller coaster of a career. There's a lot going on here. So, half of it is intensely personal. And the other half, he and I are both sort of interested in the bigger questions philosophical questions. How are we defining ourselves? How are we defining ourselves through our work? What does the future of that look like? Why is depression maybe just a symptom of our current society? And that's something we all have to go through before society fundamentally changes. There's a lot going on in here and I don't normally hang a lantern on this, but that's why it's a bit late. It took me a while to go through and to kind of parse through and put together. But I think what we've got is good, good stuff that is going to be valuable to you. Now, if you're interested in talking about coaching, because that's Kent's actual vocation, He's a coach, and in his own words, if you go to KentHFrazier.com, that's Kent the first thing you see on his website is the phrase, freedom to be me, and this mission statement, I support people in creating the life they love. So if you're interested in leadership coaching or executive coaching, or you just want to fundamentally better understand who you are and how that informs your work, Get in touch with Kent, because Kent is an absolute pro. He goes through his career on this, and and you can hear he has held some high-level executive positions in large organizations. It's a remarkable journey, and I'm happy that Kent is my friend. I'm happy that our daughters are friends, and I'm so pleased to bring this episode to you. Before we get there, a quick plug for my business, Deft Communications, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. Deft produces this podcast, it is my day job, and things are starting to pick up. So if you want me to work with you, and you want to tell your organization's story in a new, better, and more nuanced way, get in touch with me, because I'm running out of bandwidth, and that is very exciting, but I'm always open to a conversation. Hit me up. It's like Benjamin Franklin says, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And I'm getting busier by the day, so hit me up, Deftcom.us. I'll also give a quick shout to the John of all trades, social media pages. That's J O A T pod across platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Instagram is usually where I do the worst coworker ever series. So if you're into adorable cat photos, that is your jam. But today I hit a hundred thousand miles of my car posted a nice photo about that. That was kind of a cool milestone that I had just driving back from dropping my kids off at school. So good stuff on the social media channels. Stay up with me there. Now then, let's get to episode 216. Kent Frazier is my guest. He's a good buddy. He's an HR executive. He's a leadership coach. And he's got a lot of great insights into the current state of mental health in this country. Episode 216, Kent Fraser, starts right now.
1: I hosted an, an event there. So this is one of their startups there. Oh, cool. All right. And they take developmentally challenged people Mm -hmm. on all kinds of trips co-mingled with quote-unquote normal people. Right. Yeah. And it ends up being like a wonderful experience for both the normal and the developmentally challenged to see through these bullshit lines and how we separate ourselves. right?
0: Like these barriers that we put up or Mm – yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. Um, So
1: they're a nonprofit. They do great stuff. This was – I supported their uh, charity event. They had it at the – Automobile Museum. Oh, cool. Did you All know right. this place? No. It was fascinating. Yeah? Yeah. So anyway, that's I bought a shirt. Got to support the band. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's funny, dude. Because I'm with the band. Oh, no. <laughs> it says on the back, I'm with the band. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to, uh, speaking about T-shirts, I was talking to, it was during Denver Film Festival last year, and like Frankie Nardiello, who goes by the name Groovy Man, he had a band called My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. Uh, I don't know any of this stuff. And then um, I'm so not cool. (laughs) Like Jello Biafra was the lead singer of the Dead Kennedys. And they were talking about how, like, when you put out an album, especially now, that's not going to make you any money. Mm -hmm. But you put out the album so you can tour. And the touring isn't actually where you make your money either. It's so you can sell merch. And I go, So essentially every band is just like a t shirt company? (laughs) And he goes, Yeah. And I'm like, God, that's so weird because that, you know. Band t-shirts are cool and I have a ton of them. I have yeah. a whole quilt made out of them too.
1: <laughs> I think I remember you telling me. Yeah.
0: But uh it's weird because it's like that's not why you get in the business to do music, but you got to support yourself and eventually you just become this merch company. You're 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 like a brand, not a band, but a brand.
1: Yeah. The internet totally disrupted the whole music industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, in good ways for consumers, because I mean, we have so much choice available to us, but I think to the detriment of people actually making a living at it.
1: Totally. And that's like, at least, you know, in the work that I've done in my whole career, last 25 years is like steeped in this question. What am I going to do for work? (laughs) Whether I've been a recruiter for a company or I've been a headhunter, you know, supporting individuals looking for work Mm -hmm. or I've been looking for work myself like this. This question of what do we do for work and and how do we earn a living and and these artists have honed their craft mm-hmm. right and they've created this whole way of being in the world to earn a living masterfully entertaining people through their music and that gets just obliterated right like this is my buddy H- Peter Himmelman. he's like he writes about this it's it's like quite an interesting creativity exercise how do I reinvent myself
0: <laughs> so this is Kent Fraser. And Kent and I met at, our daughters go to the same preschool and and they're besties. (laughs) It's, uh, it's them and this other little girl. And it's like the three of them who, uh, who are just sort of inseparable. And it's really funny. Like, cause you get the app, like the app updates. Oh yeah. And so like you see them and they're always together Mm -hmm. and it's always photos of your daughter, my daughter. And, and yeah, th- the and, third
1: musketeer. <laughs>
0: that's right. It's like the three tenors, you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Um, except, you know, four year old girls. <laughs> but it's funny. Like, so naturally you hope that the parents of your daughter's friends aren't going to suck. Right. Mm, yes. <laughs> and so like luckily we hit it off. We did pretty well, like and pretty easily, like mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Um, and it's funny because you and I are in related sort of fields industries, but not really. I mean, we're, we're sort of tangentially related and depending on the company, people will group together this HR, this recruiting with communications. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of what I've done in my career is internal communications, So I end up working with sort of the HR department. How do we communicate what we're doing to the people who belong to this organization? Mm -hmm. And so I've stepped on it enough, but why don't you give me a little bit of rundown of what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, and uh, I'll just say I'm super glad that we met and hit it off, too. Me, too. It's, uh, I was like, oh, coming to a new city. Like, how am I going to meet friends? Oh, through your kids. Right. And so one hopes that there's cool <laughs> parents. Yeah. It's- I
0: mean, we've been to breweries and stuff together, <laughs> totally. which has been great. Um, and it's funny, too. You were supposed to come uh, to my daughter's fourth birthday. But your daughter got sick that day, mm-hmm. and Kristen and I didn't know most of the parents there, and we're like, man, hopefully they don't suck. But they showed up, and they're like, wow, there's breakfast tacos here and beer? All right, this is all right. We go, okay, you're cool. <laughs> yes. If anyone's like, "Ooh, for a kid's birthday, it's like, oh, okay, go wait in the car.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, now I'm hungry for breakfast burritos and beer. Yeah. But, uh yeah, we're sorry to have missed that. Yeah. But, yeah.
0: I mean, we are recording this on a Tuesday. So. <laughs> And in the morning, so that might not be good for the productivity for the rest of my true, day.
1: True, 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 true. So what I'm up to. Um, thanks for that question. It's it's a question that's been top of mind of late as I look at you know kind of taking inventory from a 25 year career in you know being steeped in this question of who are we as a company? What am I going to cho- choose to do for my work? how do I attach my sense of self to what I do for a living and the company that I'm representing, Um which yeah. is, which
0: is not exclusively a male thing, but it's male dominant. Like men, we define ourselves by what we do totally and, and what we create and what we make. Yeah. And so that question, I think whether we want it to be or not is more central in our minds than perhaps it is for women. I, I don't want to generalize too much here, But based on my experience, when things are going badly at work for a man, the rest of his life is probably going to be in disarray too.
1: Yeah, Um, I I would agree with that. My own personal fluctuations in work identity and what I would label as success Mm -hmm. um, definitely had really powerful ripples in the uh, integrity of my relationships and my way I hold my sense of self. So, anyway, what I'm up to now is, um, you know, I've I've had the like true privilege to to have been able to play a multitude of roles in organizations of all kinds of different sizes and levels of maturity from startups to you know decade old comp decades old companies with you know tens of thousands of employees the conversation around work is usually one that brings up a lot of consternation for people mm-hmm. and a sense of suffering really this has been my experience, you know, w- whether as an HR business partner or recruiter or, you know, running, learning and development or whole, the whole talent management stuff. There's, this, uh, I have to work. <laughs> I want to get promoted and I want to make more money. And then like, it's just, it's just an inter- it's an interesting conversation. I don't even know where I'm going with this at the moment. Okay. But, but, but it's just like been steeped in this question around our, our sense of selves and, and the way it
0: connects to our work. Well, I think what you're hinting at is there's a tension there. I have to work, but I may not want to, and I may not like what I'm doing, but there's still pressure to advance down that path. Yeah. Like irrespective of how happy you are on that path, you want to ascend and be successful at it regardless of how happy it actually makes
1: you. What I'm beginning to wonder, is this just one of those rites of passage? In what way? When one's going you know, full steam in a pursuit that really is disingenuous to who they are Mm -hmm. because of someone else's or some belief that they've had that was, you know, placed in, in our subconscious by a parent, by a teacher, by whatever the prompt is like, Mm -hmm. I have to grow up and I have to pursue this thing because it's going to pay a lot because it's got social um, prominence or respect you know, I remember being in a conversation once with a woman, she was a VP of sales at a company that I was working with. We were working on an instrument, an assessment that helped people understand intrinsic motivation. So what's moving me other than the, the carrot that's being dangled in front of me of a title of more money, whatever, but what's motivating me from inside? And this woman was of Asian descent and she's like, I've never even afforded myself the opportunity to ask this question of myself. Wow like, like what what do you mean what what do I like <laughs> or what do you mean what what really makes me feel right good and feel strong I just do what I'm told
0: that's not even a variable that that I introduced into the equation right right wow that's too weird
1: right and as I do this work you know and we're exploring people's sense of purpose mm-hmm. so you're talking about you know, the, the communications that go on within organizations, whether it's internal comm, like you were doing, explaining to our folks, like, what are we up to or the various important stakeholders that we need to communicate to? Right. These, these narratives that we pick up along the way that we think have to be true or that, or these simple, these questions that we think would be simple, yet we've never asked. Oh, around purpose. This is what I was going mm. with. So I've been, I've been big in the conscious capitalism conversations do you even know who this entity is or what I, I'm one? familiar with the concept yeah yeah so it's like one can look at capitalism arguably as one of the most successful systems of human cooperation and if you look at the last few hundred years what capitalism has done to advance and promote a healthier better human condition is is great like we live longer lives medicine right mm-hmm. like way better off than we were things that killed us a couple hundreds of years ago don't Simultaneously, at this relentless pursuit of profit, we've created other conditions.
0: Right, there's a destructive element. There's to a it.
1: destructive element to it. So conscious capitalism says, can we, can we become more attuned to what our wake is in the world and our way of being as a corporate entity? And can we aim what we're up to at actually elevating humanity? Right. As our reason for being. So, I get, a, I get to work with a dream client of mine, Gear Chocolate, 166 year old company, great, you know premium chocolate, great brand oh yeah and and they're they're working on a new marketing campaign mm. that is Giardelli chocolates making life a bite better or makes life a bite better okay and and the way they're they're the way they're holding themselves in this crazy frenetic, frenzied world like we're we know we know we're not curing cancer, right we know we're not, but you know like people love a good piece of chocolate, sure, and so indulge like here's a square of really mindfully created, right? They've got all their fair trade stuff in line. Nice. You know, they're it's it's sustainably created, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're conscious about what they're up to when they're saying take so, like this is our marketing campaign. Great. Do we live this for our employees? Well what's our purpose? Can we take that same language making life a bite better? And what does that mean in the way I think about my job? What does that mean in the way I interact with previously held silos within organizations? Right. And how am I like showing up in a way that makes life a bite better for everyone that I'm engaged with? What does that mean for our recruiting practices? What does that mean for our promotion practices? What does that mean for our sales and the way we engage with our various stakeholders? Right. What does that mean for our
0: work environment? Totally. Um, You know, how are we structuring our time off and. Totally. You know, helping people live well rounded lives, that kind of concept? Totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's really interesting as. They're also exper- so they're saying all of this aspirationally. We, here's who we're promoting ourselves to be in the marketplace, making life a bit better. Here's who we saying here's who we are saying we are to our employees. Mm-hmm. Yet there's still high turnover. Like mm-hmm. the executives all still have fancy company cars, right? Let's look systemically at what you're really all about.
0: And change <laughs> change is difficult too, because I mean the the systems that are in place are, you know, often seem intractable. And this is one of the challenges I always have as a consultant You go into a place and they say, we really need a new way of doing something. Yes. And you go, here's a new way. And they go, well, we can't do it that way. Right. And exactly. you go, you go, well, why not? And you go, well, we've never done it that way. Right. It's like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> totally. We're talking in circles. Yes. Uh, and, and so, I mean, a, a company that, that says it wants to change. It's one thing to say that, but it's another to actually do it and, and undertake the, the spade work of actually doing that. Yes. And is that sort of where you come in? Is that your role? I mean, you, the value of consulting, no matter what you're doing is always being able to come in and look at something with a fresh set of eyes. Mm. Because when you're deep in something, you get wrapped around the axle. You can't see your way out of the forest. You need someone to come in and go, okay, well, this over here is messed up. It's like, well, no, that's the part that's good. And you go, actually, no, this part that you think is a problem is actually good this part over here that you think is good is the problem. They go, what? And people who actually take that counsel to heart are really doing excellent work. So with regard to the way I just couched that, how does that relate to the way that you come into an organization and the, the type of work that you do?
1: Yeah. Um, what I'm describing is part of the human condition, whether you're talking about an individual looking to make a a significant transformational change in their way of, Living, mm-hmm. relating to themselves, relating to others, relating to their work, whatever. Or you're speaking about a system, whether it's an education system, healthcare system, a corporation, a nonprofit. Right? right. We we get entrenched as as you said when we're in our own jar. We have a hard time reading our label. And that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I have to give credit to that. This is from Simon Manwaring, a guy who does purpose work for organizations. As companies called We First in LA, they're great. But he's like, yeah, like, and that's true for. Like when I'm in an individual conundrum, I need that outside perspective. So right. whether it's an individual, or an organization, there's a difference in asking for help and being willing to do the things required to fulfill upon the change that you want. So the, the current way an individual's operating or an organization is operating, it's designed perfectly and fine-tuned perfectly to get the exact output that you're getting in the exact experience that you're getting. Or if you want a different outcome, mm-hmm. you, you have to really be willing to let go of these sacred cows, these things that you hold as truth, and try stuff that is new and is uncomfortable and is going to be ineffective for a period of time. Right? It's just going to be. And most people don't want to take that degradation and performance. And so we cling very strongly to the pain that we know. Because it's predictable.
0: Mm-hmm. How does that relate to what you do specifically?
1: Yeah. So it's, as you were saying, it's shining a light on or helping people realize, okay, here's what you're saying you want. And here's what you're saying is non-negotiable. Holding the mirror up and, and, and like, if you want this to change, something has to shift here because these two things are... Gotcha. And so then it's providing the accountability structures. It's providing practices. It's providing whatever the...
0: Gotcha. Accountability structure, like so, and providing milestones. And, totally. Like yeah. when I
1: did an Ironman, right? I hired a coach. Sure. I, joi- I joined a triathlon training team, and they they scheduled workouts. Yeah. For groups that I could come and be part of and understand and how I learn and grow from others. I'd had one on one stuff with my coach. I had stuff that I did by myself. Right. Absent that structure, I can talk all day long about wanting to be an Iron Man sure. and wing it, or I can I can hire people around me, and I'll be willing to be coached, and I'll be willing. Right. To let go of stuff as they're as they're offering notes of form correction. Hey, you don't see it, or like in a golf swing, right? Like, hey, you can't see it. <laughs> right. Your backswing, like you're way past parallel, right? And you think you're at three quarters,
0: right? And you're bending your left arm, which you're not. Whatever supposed to, it is, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah.
1: We, we need outside eyes on our on ourselves. We yeah. need outside eyes on our business, and we have to be humble enough and willing enough to take the corrections.
0: Yeah, that's tough, man. Question for you. You used to be inside organizations, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. what propelled you to finally? This is always a question I love as an entrepreneur and talking to other entrepreneurs. What finally propelled you to take the leap and go out on your own?
1: Yeah, I, I've I've been in and out uh, multiple times in my career, which is an interesting really? pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, my my first job out of college was a hundred percent commission sales job, banging leads, banging mm-hmm. phones, then consulting with people yeah. to get them to pay for our services, very entrepreneurial, learning how to, you know, pound the pavement essentially, then went in-house and started doing recruiting, same thing during the first dot-com boom, dot-com crash, started my own recruiting company, helping people that had been displaced, right? Right. So I'm like, oh, so that was interesting, entrepreneurial, then went back in to a big fortune 150 company and then said, oh gosh, this is where I was like, this was a pivotal moment. I had been in this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I, like it's working. Like I'm living the dream. I'm getting promoted to my big corporate VP job. I've got the nice office. I've got my fancy car, right? I've got all the trappings of materialistic right. success.
0: Mm-hmm. I have them all. All the sort of surface level markers.
1: All the surface level markers. I check, 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 check. And I'm up on the ninth floor where all the executives are one day. And, what and what I, city were you in? Dallas. Okay. And the feedback that I was given was, you know, when you're up on the ninth floor, you, you shouldn't smile so much or like really be nice to the executive admins uh-huh. because it makes you seem junior. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. So here I am, you know, relatively young, you yeah. know, in my in my mid thirties, saying like, "Gosh, like I've I've done it," and then. The, the, here comes the needle and the balloon, right? Yeah, like,
0: you can't even express that happiness.
1: No. Cause now I'm being told not to smile. That's. And this isn't an indictment on the individual who said that. Like, that of course the not. The system that we're living and working in to be successful. Right. Like, it's gotta be all serious. You can't be nice to people. Yeah. It's cutthroat, you know, these upper out cultures. God. you know, performer peril. Like there's all this rhetoric inside organizations that I've always like fought against. So oh, this yeah. is why I keep bouncing in and out because I'm like, you know, we're just judging and labeling people and trying to you know, like judge a cat by how well it can swim <laughs> rather than saying, go be a fucking cat right. as best as you can be a cat. And we're going to help you be the best fucking cat you can be. Yeah, dude. That's so, like I
0: I have to bounce off that because when I was in my corporate gig, which was uh, I was I didn't work down there, but I was there frequently. It was Houston. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I heard from one of the, uh, the higher ups there is the CEO would walk around like at night and see who was still there. And mm-hmm. like it was it was a culture of last one there wins. Mm. And it's like, what a crock of shit. Mm-hmm. You know, that does not mean you're being more effective. That doesn't mean you're actually getting more work done. It means you're better at avoiding going home. Right. Which is just such nonsense. It's such a fallacy. And I, I would argue I, unless you're like one of these sociopaths who like lives for that kind of just gamesmanship, that that's counterintuitive to producing a good company culture. So hearing you describe that, I was back in my corporate job going, ugh, nope, no thanks. Not, no, no way.
1: Yeah. So so there's clearly, right, and this is, this is largely agreed upon when you look at Gallup's, you know, for the last 10 plus years, their, their workforce employee engagement data, right, upwards of 70 plus percent of the global workforce is not meaningfully connected to what they do. Really? And where they spend the majority of our waking hours. And then we look at, okay, so for, for a decade plus, people have not been Finding meaning in the work. It's like, oh, I'm judging off to go to work. And largely I'm being told to do stuff that I really don't want to do, or I'm being asked to, to develop in areas that I'm not good at or I'm not interested in.
0: Yeah. Or that, yeah, I don't care about. So
1: I look at that data and I'm like, okay. And this is the, these are the conversations I've been steeped in, right? And, and being one who has always taken a stand for the humanity of an organization in spite of a profit motive. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've taken a ton of shit. Yeah. Over my career. Like, okay. When I get the feedback, like, Kent, like, you taught us that it's okay to be a full human being, like the legacy you've left in our organization, that it's totally okay to come to work as a complete human being. Like, great. I, I can live with that. Whether or not we hit our quarterly EBITDA target. <laughs>
0: yeah. Or, yeah. Like, that's
1: not getting me out of bed. No. Like, and I know it's important.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly right. I'm always mystified by, do you follow sports? Or are you a sports fan?
1: Yeah, I, I used to be before two little ones.
0: <laughs> um, right. Um, I, I have much more limited bandwidth now, but I'm always amazed by people who take the side of ownership versus a player in like a contract dispute. Mm. You know, people who will side with management. Mm. It's like, dude, you are on the wrong side of this. Okay, the system's going to be just fine. It doesn't need you acquiescing to it and defending the matrix here. Yeah. Okay, you should be, a player's career is short enough as it is. Mm -hmm. You should be on their side trying to extract as much money as they can because this entire enterprise is built on their backs. Mm -hmm. And so what you're talking about with conscious capitalism, there's a concept that was I was reminded of recently called the triple bottom line. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yes. The team is going to be fine if it pays this Great player, a little bit more money, which he's trying to earn. Yet, imagine in your own job advocating for management to try and suppress employees' salaries as much as they possibly could. Yeah. Yet, that's the side you find yourself on with this leisure pursuit. Totally. That's insane to totally. me.
1: Totally. 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 This is just this is triggering an, another memory of a conversation that I had in in an in house role. Company gets private equity money. We've got a, aggressive growth targets, and in a services company. Our people are our product. And, right, that's and it. And as such is our largest cost center. Right. So when the math isn't working out on the spreadsheets, the edict that comes down is said something like, hey, we need to whack half, half a million dollars out of labor. And when I say, okay, so those are people with families and needs and, and people don't live in spreadsheets, I understand we need to maybe revisit our financials and I would offer that we can start by looking at the bonuses of the senior management team that are the highest in the industry. And I know you're holding on to that as a competitive advantage and it's a retention strategy. I get all that.
0: Yeah. We play and with we play with live ammo here. I understand that.
1: I totally get all that. Yeah. Yeah. And who do we really want to be? Do we want to continue when you, we say we're a company that cares about people over profit and we walk around making decisions of whacking half a million dollars, right mm-hmm. out of, we got to whack labor. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're going to still enjoy our top of the house cushy right. spot. This to me always rubbed me wrong. Yeah. And and it didn't make me super popular. Yeah. In the C-suite. In the C-suite. Right. And, and so I bounce out again. Right, like this is where I first—if we want to go into like depression conversation, yeah. right—I I moved to LA because I'd taken, I had been in this pattern. I had done what I wanted to do, or so I thought, in corporate America when I was with Petco. Awesome company, awesome boss. Mm-hmm. Still really good friends, and I—I I needed to just get out, and and so I took a three-year sabbatical to understand like what's life really more about, and what's work really all about, and then I ran out of money.
0: Sure. I, at that time, were you working? Were you doing like the typical eighty hours a week? Like
1: not eighty, but sixty, right? For sure.
0: Yeah, sixty's pretty easy once you get to that level. I mean, that's ten hours a day, and then like I mean, ten hours a day, six days a week.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were, you know, it it was seven to seven, eight to eight. You know, right? That's just kind of what the the gig was, mm-hmm. and I was into it because I was single, and I didn't have a family, didn't have any other interest. It got me my 911 convertible, it got me my sure. condo in La Jolla. It got me my like all this stuff that I thought was real and that I thought was me.
0: Yeah, that you thought you needed, but you never really got to experience much
1: of it. No. Yeah. And then and then like this is where like Christine comes into the picture, right? And mm-hmm. and like I this is my ex-wife. You know her as the mother of our kids. <laughs> right, right, You yeah. guys are friends. Like Yeah and I love Christine like she's a wonderful person and the way we came together in our relationship was me at 40 years old thinking that it was going to be really cool for me to have a hot 24 year old girlfriend to complete my picture of the 911 convertible the La Jolla condo the Ted Baker wardrobe right like all the douchebaggery <laughs> that I that I couldn't see at that time right in yeah. my own jar yeah 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 you
0: weren't seeing your own label
1: correct or the label that I was putting on, I was like, it was carefully curated and what I really wanted to show. Meanwhile, inside, I was imposter syndrome, lots of anxiety, right. drinking a ton, womanizing a ton. And so I, I needed to arrest that progression because I'm like, this is, this is fruitless. So I bounced and took this three year sabbatical and got certified in a coaching methodology and really understanding adult development because most people like we'll hit that level. And most organizations hit this level of I'm making good money, six figures. Mm-hmm. Like what, why do I want to change this? I, I just want to preserve and protect the status quo or, or at least keep this show going. Right. But I was realizing the, the emptiness of it.
0: Yeah. Really? U- ultimately it was pretty facile. Totally. Yeah. Totally. That, totally. That's weird. And I, there are some people I suspect, I don't know this for sure, but there are some people who maybe that that is where they want to get to, maybe, maybe not there There are people I worked with in my corporate job who seem to want to be in the office all the time, yeah, and would hold everyone hostage in staff meetings, you yeah. know, just grab assing and making jokes and you know just holding forth, and you go, "I want to go home, like can we do the fucking job here?" <laughs> That we were all brought together to yeah. do and then go on our merry way. Yeah. But it's like, no, this is the end all be all for you. This is what you want. This is exactly what you want because you've got people here. You've got their attention and they can't go anywhere. So we're all going to suffer for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me, that was one of the reasons I had to leave corporate. I just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I felt like I wasn't living up to my potential. What was the aha moment for you? Where you go, you know, you've got the condo in La Jolla. You've got the 911 convertible. You've got all these trappings of, of material happiness. But at some point, there, there had to have been a moment where you go, what the hell am I doing? And you said you left. But can you describe when you had that moment?
1: Yeah. I met a mentor of mine, Steve Benson, his name is. Mm-hmm. He's still a really good friend and mentor of mine. He's in his mid-60s. And he just had this presence about him. And Another way I could say that is like this enoughness without really showing up in a way that he was defending anything, nor was he promoting anything. He was just really grounded and here to like help me and help the team of people that I was trying to help. And I remember going like, oh, my gosh, like that's magic. That's what I remember saying to him. He's sitting in my office and I'm looking at him just like I'm looking at you. I'm like, what's that? Like, how did you get that? And that's when he introduced me to Ken Wilber's work, Integral Theory, if you're familiar with this, Mm-mm. one of the most highly regarded modern day philosophers, Integral Theory, integral meaning whole, yeah, yeah. moving towards wholeness or completeness. And he's saying when he was in Duke Medical School, gosh, 40 plus years ago, he, he had this question like, what, what if, what if everyone in human history, through whatever way they were trying to describe the human condition, what if everybody was right? partially and he created a map to help human beings better organize our way of trying to make sense of our internal experience and the way we experience the external world and so this just took it's one of these like red pill blue pill moments Mm -hmm. where all of us it's like a map of consciousness
0: which by the way i'm really pissed off at the alt-right for co-opting that uh red pill blue pill thing (laughs) you know what i mean like and just as a side note, I'm really sick of, like, having to decode Nazi shit in 2019. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: So I don't follow this stuff. So I don't... I've This so, isn't in my...
0: This so is... thank God. Like, there's, there's this whole, like, alt-right meme, like, it's the red pill, blue pill thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what if I told you feminism was a lie? Or, you know, some horse shit like that. Just some, like, awful misogyny dressed up as this revelatory sort of thinking. Yeah. Or, like... You know, like, you remember this game where mm-hmm. you make, like, the and upside you... down? Like, uh, no, no, like, uh, where you hold this below your belt? Like, it's like And an if o- someone looks at it? Yeah, it's an up- yeah, it's an upside down okay sign, you yeah. hold it below the belt. If someone looks at it, you can hit them or yes. whatever the game is? Yes. Well, that's been co-opted into some, like, white supremacist shit now. Really? I'm not making this up. It's, uh, like, the f- and I didn't know that until like two weeks ago. Yeah, but I saw it, and I'm like, God damn it! Like, why are we having to decode this Nazi white supremacy bullshit in 2019? Yeah, I can't. So when you said red pill, blue pill, yeah, that's why I had to just sort of. Call that out because that's not what you're talking about in the least.
1: No, not at all. I'm talking about, you know, as they present it in the matrix, like, do you want to see reality? Yeah. Or do you want to go comfortably back to sleep? And so this to me, having met this guy, I was like, okay, I forget what color pill it was, but it was the one where I went down the rabbit hole. That's the red pill. Yeah. And the last 10 years have been really a pursuit of my own shadow boxing taking ownership for the missteps I've made in my life, continuing to, as my coaching program would say, like, how do I continue to wake up, um, become more aware of what's really happening, grow up and take responsibility for my role in everything that's happening in my life, whatever it might be, and not making it other people's fault.
0: Right. Well, you know what's a great... And then
1: cleaning up was the third part of that.
0: Absolutely. Uh yeah, making amends, cleaning it up and yeah. and doing better. Yes. Kids are an amazing mirror for that too. Unbelievable. Because I'll see my kids doing something that I know comes from me and I'm like, "Oh god, is that what that looks like?" Yeah. You go. Right. Oh, okay, I got to do better. Right, waking up. Yeah. Like
1: I'm re- I'm seeing this now. Yeah. Right, Carl Jung puts it in a way like until you make the the unconscious conscious, right. it will direct your life and you'll call it fate. <laughs> <laughs> and so Like this is where this whole conversation leads me to – you're asking what I'm doing in present time. It's like the last 10 years have been like unraveling the onion and like really trying to get beneath all these stories that I've either given to myself about what I can and can't do, who I am or who I'm not.
0: Essentially myth-making.
1: Myth-making and those that have been impressed upon me from society. Right. It's like deconstructing all of that, looking at it all and then saying – Okay, I have a choice in the matter. What life am I going to self-author from this moment on and not be beholden to these myths that I either created for myself or allowed others to create for me? Right. Like I have to stay in this job, like I have to stay in this marriage, like I have to make this much money, like I have to drive this car, like I have to live in this kind of house, like I, what, whatever. And so the way I've been processing my experience with mental health challenges and depression, right, I was as I was going through all this materialistic success and then unwinding and unraveling all that, looking at one's shadow elements, looking at one's unwholesome, unwanted, uncomfortable parts of ourselves – is necessary work and like I was wallowing in it
0: to your detriment
1: to my detriment. So yeah. this notion of like, until I make the unconscious conscious, it's going to direct my life. Well, now I've, I'm like intentionally been looking at all the shit.
0: Okay. You're like fixated on it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause
1: I like, I want to wake up, grow up and clean up. So I am like, not just allowing the occasional like, oh gosh, I, I guess I was an asshole there. Like I'm right. intentionally, so I'm like in programming and therapy and coaching where I am actively exercising these demons. Yeah. You, really?
0: You might be closing past the sale here though, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> you know
1: what I mean? Oh yes. I'm sure that's, uh, <laughs> that's kind of one of my patterns too. Oh really? Like, oh, I'm going to do, uh, do I want to do triathlons? Yeah. Let's do an Ironman. Okay. Right. <laughs> right yeah like i i kind of have i i have a tendency to do things in the extreme mm.
0: yeah that's uh i and i'm not unfamiliar with that either not to the degree that you're describing but yeah i can i can dig in there and and go a little bit further than i probably need to yeah in, in... and this is
1: also growth though right? right like if you look at if you look at the expansion of consciousness growth and development comes from kind of pushing the edges i know when i became a dad and i felt the love side, this unconditional love side bulge out in one direction yeah. well to balance that out the fear and the worry and the sense of responsibility <laughs> and the yeah all the other stuff that drives us nuts right th- they're both true
0: yeah <clears throat> you're right and that side will compensate because yeah the the dread and the weight of it it's it's a lot
1: yeah and then when one's trying to be an entrepreneur and make their way in the world doing work that they love and doing work that they're great at, and it doesn't have the predictability of the cash flow and the salary and the benefits and all this stuff that you know certainly has its
0: it's got its allure for yeah. sure yeah i mean it's it's not essential for happiness but it can be helpful no doubt so no doubt yeah i mean the the upside of what we do of chasing you know becoming our full selves And I, I alluded to this earlier, but when I was in corporate, I felt like I wasn't living up to my full potential. Yeah, I remember you saying that. And that was frustrating to me. That was the biggest thing that I wanted to change because I felt like I was wasting my days, wasting my talent, and wasting my time. And literally, on this show at one point, I had someone who said, literally the only finite thing in the entire world is time. Like everything else, you can always make more money, you can always get more fit, you know, you can do an Iron Man, you, like, there's, there's always another mountain to climb. Mm -hmm. But you've only got so many seconds in the day. Yeah. So making those count, and I felt like I was wasting so many of those Yeah. in that gig. So the upside is great, but, man, there are times where I'm like, you know, I ha- I did have a lot of time to just kind of look out the window, like, <laughs> or, uh, you know, just kind of think about whatever as I'm waiting for 5 o'clock or whenever to, to happen, and there's some comfort in that, but... You know, it's it's all part of a calculus we all have to do. Yeah, and and a lot of people are unwilling to face that sort of math problem mm. on that <laughs> deep a level. Yeah, um, it's like no, I don't even want to plug in the variables. I don't even want to know because the other side is too scary. Yeah, and that to me is an opportunity lost. Like if you're if you're ever thinking about doing that, time is the only thing that is finite. And I've I've quoted this a number of times on the show. My favorite Warren Miller quote mm. is. Whatever, whatever you want to do, do it this year. Because if you don't, you'll be one year older when you finally do.
1: Yeah. A lot can
0: change between now and then. For sure. For sure. And, so
1: the, the, and the, so the question that I ask for myself and that I ask of all my coaching clients and that I ask of all my organizations trying to loop this back is like, are you at the effect of some myth that you're holding on to that you've either created for yourself or that someone else has imposed upon you? And or are you willing to, like, challenge those and do the work to create the thing that you really want to create.
0: Do you read ancient philosophy? Uh, because what you're describing is Plato's fractured self. Oh, okay. From the symposium. Yeah. I haven't
1: read Plato, um, but I, I, I've read a lot of Buddhist stuff. And
0: so, I mean, I, in grad school, yeah. When you go to grad school, they force you to read. You, you always start with a bunch of dead white guys, <laughs> yeah. right? Plato,
1: Socrates. Yeah.
0: yeah. Aristotle, mm-hmm. quintilian, mm-hmm. um, Cicero, mm-hmm. And so I had like, I learned that so many times that I can't not think about it, but you're talking about the fractured self. Yeah. There's, you know, there's who we think we are and then who we actually are. Yes. And you putting that question to people has got to be very uncomfortable. for It is. It is. And so when you're doing training, I just want to ask this from a practical perspective. Do you watch that happen as they wrestle with the questions that you ask? And, oh yeah. And, and I mean you can see it manifest physically in people. Totally. Is that weird?
1: Um this is this is one of the things I was pointing to earlier where I think that that feeling and that expression is a necessary wall that people need to run into. Okay. Like that that is the thing that wakes them up or that wakes us up. Interesting. As we hit these things we're like, "Oh my gosh, I've never inquired into my sense of purpose and how that might be expressed through my work and why I'm with this company and where I buy my food and what clothes I wear. Like you're asking me to take full responsibility for my wake in the world. And uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't want to, right? Because the majority of the majority of the human race still lives in this victim consciousness Mm. like this world the world is happening to me and if you listen to conversation you go to any restaurant walk down any street listen to any over here any phone call most of the stuff you hear is people complaining yeah I'd say that's true which is all victim consciousness
0: and we were talking about this before we got on the mic you know you need to happen to the world you need to affect the world as as much as you can and hopefully you're making a positive choice in the way that you affect the world but if you view it as you are having an imprint on the world what kind of imprint do you want that to be rather than the world happens to me i just happen to be here the rest of the world is happening to me that's no way to run a railroad here yeah right that's no way to live
1: and the other side is true like but there's so m- there's way more that's out of our control of course then there is in our control so the paradox is i love what you're saying is how do i show up mhm And take responsibility for creating the life that I want, the relationships that I want, the work that I want, and and give it my best. And then the world's going to ask other things of me along the way that I didn't necessarily want but maybe needed in some way, shape, or form to continue to grow up. Pick whatever the, the, the reason would be. Yeah. Um, so I think it's both, it's being, it's being, and the, the, again, this has been my practice because I've tried shoving the world around to comply and bend to my whims and wants and desires. And
0: that's not what I'm saying. Either. Yeah. Like, no, that's no, you, you can't, you can't view yourself as, you know, a demigod or, right. Or a, to a much lesser degree as a bully. Right. You right. Know, <laughs> you know, you, you, you're not, Do you know,
1: any of those in public <laughs> figures, these, <days>? uh, none <laughs> that I'm aware of,
0: none that I've heard of anyway. But no, it's, it's, it's choosing to, I mean, you, what's the old cliche? You're in charge of only a handful of things, right? Your attitude, your work ethic and the way you treat people. Yeah. So, I mean, if you choose the ways in which you do that, then when the world like comes upon you and requests certain things or puts demands on you, you may be in charge of those three things. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. um, everything else, it's kind of out of your control. So yeah.
1: So being willing to dance with it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or I, I kind of like jujitsu. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Because, you know, you, like jujitsu is. It. Yeah, exactly. Uh, jujitsu is about feeling your partner or, you know, if you're in a fight, your opponent's energy. And then how are you redirecting that to your advantage? Yes. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. Martial arts are great learning.
0: Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't spent, I've spent a lot of time reading about them. Haven't spent a, a ton of time actually practicing them
1: yeah so yeah, same and and this is what I what I notice so much about in my own experience and when I'm working with others is so many times we mistake having an intellectual understanding of something as oh, I know that like I could read all the books in the world about what it's like to be a single dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can read all the books in the world about what it's like to have depression. Mm-hmm. I can read all the books in the world about what it's like to lose someone to cancer or lose someone to addiction, but until I live it, I don't know
0: it. No, I mean, and I, in Goodwill Hunting, I feel like Robin mm-hmm. Williams conveys that to uh, Matt Damon. Yeah, you that's know,
1: one of my favorite movies.
0: Yeah, he's like, uh, if I ask you about war, he'd probably throw Shakespeare at me. Right. You know, once more into the breach, dear friends. He's like, but you've never been near one. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a point that's well stated. Yeah. So, in terms of where you go from here, because we're amazingly rapidly running out of time here, what in your practice, that you haven't done, that you'd like to do more of. Where are places that you might like to go, or yeah, areas of practice that you haven't been able to execute to to your liking? Where do you go from
1: here? A couple of things are bubbling up for me in this domain. One is um, around this conversation of mental health, yeah, and ending stigma related to it. Jay Krishnamurthy um, has a quote that says it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a society that's profoundly sick. And so to some degree, if one isn't in some state of existential angst or depression about the human condition on this planet and the way we treat one another to some of the things you were pointing to earlier, maybe you're not paying attention right? and maybe you're a little bit too comfortably numb in your own cocoon that these things don't affect you right so i look at you know those of us that do feel the the suffering and the inequities and the injustices that the human condition like human that we are doing to ourselves and to one another you know it's it's stepping into that conversation in, in whatever way that i can i i can choose to do it in the workplace having spent 25 years kind of in that conversation already mm-hmm. I- I'm meeting later this week with the executive director of the national mental health innovation center, which is here at university of Colorado. Nice. And I met him at a Denver chamber leadership foundation where what's her name? Uh, Ritter. I forget her first name. She was a former first lady of, Oh Governor. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh- <clears throat> she was facilitating the conversation. It was about mental health. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what, what do we do as civic and community leaders here locally to, you know, amplify this conversation around mental health so that, you know, people aren't so ashamed and there's not so much stigma and we, and people can get the help and the support they need. And we could recognize that maybe this isn't a life sentence either. And maybe it's a developmental progression that we go through. That'd be nice. As we learn to be compassionate towards ourself and to others and, 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 you know, the, the the suffering that exists just as part of this condition, right? This is the Buddha said this. This is the first noble truth. Life is suffering. Ignorance of that or resisting that creates more suffering. So we've got all these people feeling like they're suffering alone. Loneliness is the leading cause of why people go to therapy.
0: Yeah, and I've I found...
1: So I want to be in this conversation somehow because it's a systemic challenge in suicide rates. And like, you know, I have friends that have teenage kids yeah. that are suicidal and addicted. And I'm like, we have little kids. And I'm like...
0: No, yeah. How am a, I
1: going to affect this? So I think about education. You know, I was on a call earlier this morning with someone that's ta- thinking about how do we reinvent the education system? Yeah. Like I'm interested in having the hard conversations that we need at the systemic level and understanding the interdependency whether it's politics, education, healthcare, for profit, non-for-profit, non-for-profit, like how do we all come together? I'm with you 100% on this. So, so I don't I don't know what it looks like yet but it's 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 somehow convening experiences and interventions and programming that brings things a little bit more into harmony
0: that would be good i think we're in a weird place in society too where everyone knows that what we're doing isn't going to work this way for much longer if it's still working like currently. and what are you
1: pointing to when you're saying working like anything the way we're educating kids the way we're right. treating healthcare the way we're treating the environment our right, the, the money. Way, yeah, the the the,
0: <laughs> the way business is run, because you know you've got we're defined by our work. You, yes, you know, that's one of the things we talk about. What am I going to do for work? What am I going to do for work? We're Americans. What's the first question anyone asks you? What do you do? What do you do? Right. Then what do you
1: drive? Where do you live? Right. But
0: no, it's what do you? It's what do <laughs> no, you do? Totally. And I think about automation all the time. You know, where where you are stripping people of their work, and even if you come up with something like universal basic income, you like. Let's let's say let's ignore all the problems on either side with that or, or the arguments on either side. And let's just say that's the way of things. How do people then define themselves? If the need for work, if our society progresses to be technologically advanced enough to where we don't have to work, that's a major loss of identity that we're going to have to wrestle with in, in a profound way. And I don't think anyone's ready for that.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So when I say if things are working right now, yes, you're right. Is it education? Is it business? Is it government? Is it, you know, the the ways in which we exist in the world? I don't think the way we're doing it right now is gonna look this way for much longer because I think we're getting to a tipping point.
1: For sure. I, I agree wholeheartedly. So what we're maybe even experiencing is the necessary destruction that always precedes a renaissance. Right. That the current structures and systems have to fail. It's 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 a requirement for the new, the new to be born.
0: Yeah, there has to be a forest fire before new trees can sprout. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: There's even a chemical that I learned, there's a consulting company up in Boulder that are named after this <clears throat> particular chemical p- compound that's created only in a forest fire. Hmm. It's called kerakin. Hmm. And the moment all this vegetation is crisped, this this compound called kerakin, car- I hmm. think is what it is, is what initiates the new life. Wow. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. I'd never heard of that. Yeah. I, I had neither until a year or so ago. So, so whether it's an individual having to go through a, a depressive moment, uh, uh, whatever, like it's, it's these challenges, these ebbs and flows, the inhales and exhales of life, the high tide, the low tide, like we got to expect that they're going to be there. And we all just, surf them and navigate them differently. We all have our different flavors and textures of it, but we can exercise compassion and kindness towards ourselves and others because we share in that, yeah, human condition.
0: Well, this is one of the other reasons I'm happy that uh, our daughters ended up being friends is because we can talk about this openly. And one of the things we're both sort of very steadfast in is if you are having struggles, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, talk to people, man. Like you, you will be surprised at how uh, – I, I, I'm, I'm groping for the right, right word here. It's not welcoming. It's not forgiving. But how accommodating and how caring the world actually is for you. Yeah. When, when you show vulnerability and you say, I'm really struggling with this, people come out of the freaking woodwork to tell you – that, Hey, I'm going through this too. Yeah. Here's, here's how it affects me. Here's what it looks like. How's it, what's it look like for you? And the more you can do that, the less alone you are, the less scary the world is. And that's one of the reasons I want to do this show with you is so that we could talk about this and go, Hey, you know what? It's okay. Yeah. Because I mean, we, we've got little people to raise. We've got totally. plenty to do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's easy to just sort of be like, well, this is my problem and who cares? Like this is minor. Right. But no, like, that ends up coming out in really ugly forms when you're with your kids or your partner or whatever. And so if you're not taking care of yourself, you're doing a disservice to everyone around you too. For
1: sure. For sure. It definitely played a role in in the dissolving of my marriage. It definitely plays a role in my ability to parent the way I want to parent and work the way I want to work. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I agree. And, I, and I'm so thankful to be having this conversation with you as well because- you know, th- these are practices that, that we just have to attend to your financial health, your physical health, your mental health, your relational health, your vocational, like all of these things require attention and practice Yeah, and help.
0: Absolutely. All right, Kent, here's where we do plugs on the show. If you want to plug something, it's all yours. Uh, <laughs> oh, where, where can people get in touch with you? <laughs> where can people find you? Yeah. Plug away.
1: So funny. I have a website, Kent H com. K E N T H. F-R-A-Z-I-E-R.com. You can check out consciouscapitalism.org. It's a great organization. I would invite you to check out superheroes.org, which is a podcast about mental health and all the people who show up at work suffering silently and still do the hero's job. Yeah. My friend James Pratt started that. Um, I would also point out This Is My Brave, which is my good friend Jen Marshall, in the Washington, D.C. area, using the power of song and poetry and spoken word to help people suffering from mental health challenges to tell their stories and heal in doing so. Great, great organization. And thanks for having me on the show, my friend. Well,
0: well I'll tell you what, in 215 episodes, you're one of the few to really spread the plug love around <laughs> because most people are like, you can find me here, 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 and here. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm ha- like, I have people on here whose work I like and enjoy and admire. But very few of them actually, like, plug other people or the work of other people. So that's well played.
1: <laughs> so these are people that I think are doing great <clears throat> work in the world, and uh, they need to be known.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Kent Frazier, I know I'll see you around. We'll, we'll, our paths will cross plenty. But in the professional sense, the mental health sense, and everything that you do, continued success to you.
1: Thanks, brother. And you. And we bring
0: Episode 216 to a close thanks to Kent Frazier, my good buddy, Fellow dad, dynamite leadership coach. Thanks for taking the time sitting down with me. I know I'm going to run into you again very soon, but it was a pleasure to get to connect in this format. Check him out at KentHFraser.com. You can find that link along with all the other links that he talked about on the John of All Trades blog. That's J O N of All All 216 plus episodes are there. Dig into the back catalog. We got tons of great stuff with people from all across the employment spectrum. Those episodes are also available on iTunes, Stitcher, and a billion other podcatchers. Hit that subscribe button, get brand new episodes right to your listening device. You don't even have to do any work. We talked about automation in this episode. How much more American is that? I will ask you to leave us a rating, leave us a review. That helps the algorithm. And when people go to that page for the first time, they see lots of great reviews, lots of great ratings helping me out and I'm infinitely appreciative of that. Our sponsor is Four Degrees, the number four D-E-G-R-E If you're doing anything online, building a website, creating campaigns, social media marketing, or digital advertising, Four Degrees can get you connected with the audience that needs to see your message the most. They'll help you write that message, but more importantly, they'll help you deploy it effectively. The number four D-E-G-R-E I'm out of here for this week. I will be back very soon with a brand new episode of the John of All Trades podcast. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Tracy.
1: That's good, Johnny.